Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, I want you to reach into the pew in front of you and pull out this little brochure. And if there's one missing, pull one out from a pew around you someplace. Um, It's going to say what we believe and practice at Fellowship Bible Church. About a year and a half ago, we worked through these issues in more detail, and you can catch those in our YouTube channel if you'd want. But every year, it's just important to just pause and say, this is what we believe and this is what we practice. You'll notice that when you open up the brochure, you're going to see seven things that we believe about God, Jesus Christ, man, salvation, scripture, church, and heaven. Those are from last week. We talked about those last week. But when we developed this as a church, as a team of elders, and as the pastors wrestle with some of these ideas further, um, we said it's not only important to say what you believe, but it's also important to understand what you practice, that is, what you do as a church. And so those are the issues we want to cover today. So you can kind of follow along there if you want. There's going to be some additional notes. Uh, They're not in the Church Center app for you, but... um, We'll put them there tomorrow, so you'll get them there, Um, and you can kind of follow along. So just kind of stay with me. We're going to take each one of those and give them a statement, right? Um, On baptism and communion, we are called to remember Jesus through communion and identify with him in baptism. Remember Jesus through communion and identify with him in baptism. Now, man, I don't know about you, but when Kim asked me to get something, she usually says, can you pick this up on the way home? And then she usually adds one other sentence. I just want to see if you know what it is. Are you writing it down? That's correct, okay? Are you writing it down? And that's because Kim has a history with me of me not writing it down and then me getting home and saying, what what was I supposed to get again? Okay. We all have a tendency to forget certain things. And Jesus instituted the Lord's table or communion so that we would remember certain things. Now, depending on your background, You may have learned um, that when we partake of these elements, they become the body and blood of Christ. And and that doesn't appear to be what the Scriptures are saying, but I understand that that may be your background. So let me just talk about that for a second. But you say, didn't Jesus say, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no part in me? That's correct. But Jesus also said things like, I am the door. Was he a physical door? He also said, I am the light. When he said that, did his human body suddenly glow, right? Jesus said other things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those ideas are easy to see that Jesus is, but the others are pictures, are metaphors for us to look at that and say, okay, this is Jesus using a word picture for me to understand something about him. And that's what we would say that communion is for us. It is our opportunity to remember what Jesus did. Now, uh, just note this in Matthew chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, remember, you say, well, that sounds like his body, but remember, they're not eating his body because his body is still in the room serving out the Lord's table. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. But his blood is still in his veins at that stage in the room. And that's why we would say this is a word picture. It's a very important word picture because we are forgetful people, and it causes us to remember. Here's three things you want to remember. You want to remember and not forget that there was punishment that Jesus took that we deserved. 
That's why when we take those elements, we look at the bread and we remember His body. We look at the blood and we remember His death. We even sung about it this morning, didn't we? Um, when we sung about the blood of Jesus. That, didn't, that was a reminder that on the cross, He would bleed in such a way that He would totally bleed out and die. And His death, therefore, would be what we would remember. We remember that our relationship with Jesus needed repair. In fact, you see that here, right? It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we look at communion and we pause to remember it, we're remembering that our relationship with God was broken and Jesus came and died so that we could be saved. And we remember something else as well. We remember that God's love is deeply, deeply sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Something becomes incredibly valuable when there's only one of them. And in this situation, God had only one son, and he gave his only son. So when we pause for communion, we're always remembering that. that. That's communion. But let's talk about baptism as well. We are called to remember Jesus through communion and identify with him in baptism. So when we do communion here as a, as a fellowship, we are remembering. But when someone is being baptized, they're identifying. If you've not been here um, when we've done a baptism service, then um, you miss a great, you just miss a great, great time of testimony. We ask people to share their story. When they're baptized here, we ask them to say, listen, tell us how you came to faith in Christ. And I'm always so encouraged because every time I hear that, there's different stories of where God met them and, and how, G, how they became convinced they were sinners and needed a Savior. I hear all of those stories, and I'm always thinking that somebody in the congregation or a guest is hearing that story and saying, that sounds like me, right? The point is this, that we're identifying with Christ. Now, let me just talk about that for a second. We identify with Christ publicly. I love Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of Christ. We identify with Christ publicly. We, when someone steps forward to be baptized, um, are saying, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm a Christian, I'm not afraid to admit it. You want to remember that in the rest of the world, that public confession sometimes is, is incredibly costly. And so, therefore, we should say, listen, if I'm a Christian, I'm not ashamed to admit it, then, then, then what does that look like to those around me? We've shown a video here a number of years ago where uh, one of our missionaries overseas was in Afghanistan, and he said, I want to show you the baptism of an Afghanistan young man who came to faith in Christ. And the missionary, my friend, jumped over the fence, a wire fence around a swimming pool, and you see the Afghanistan kid jump over the fence, and then he baptizes him in this pool. And then he says, are you ready for this? When he did that, he knew that he would either be beaten or executed. He wanted to take a stand for Christ. Um, I was pondering this morning uh, a song that I knew from the 70s, okay? And uh, I remember when I first heard it sung, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would they find someone who'd seen you in the shadows and they couldn't repeat all the naked truth they know? Would the prosecution 
have the evidence to hang you? Or would the master suffer for your show? It's such a cool song, and it's 1970s music, so I decided I was going to play a portion of it for you, okay? Now, I gave you the lines because it's going to have like a 1970s. Plus, everybody here who was born in the 21st century just needs to know and appreciate real music, okay? <laughs> so, with that in mind, with that in mind, you're going to hear this, but I don't want you to simply say, whoa, what's the bass line doing on that, okay? I want you to hear the words and ask the question, if you're a high school kid, if you're a junior high student, um, do people at school know I'm a Christian? Have I taken a public identification with Christ? Would there be enough evidence to convict me? Okay, sit tight. Here you go. Now, you cannot go home and say you didn't hear real music in church. Okay. But most importantly, you've been asked a question. Have you publicly identified with Christ in such a way that the people around you know you're a Christian? Would there be sufficient evidence? This is what baptism is about. It's not, not the finishing point. It's the starting point. And it's why when you become a believer, we say this is your next step, to be baptized because you want to say, I'm not ashamed of Christ. Here's the other thing about baptism real quickly. We identify with Christ pictorially, not just publicly, but pictorially. I proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is why when someone is baptized here, they go down into the water, and they come back up out of the water. It's a picture. It's not just baptism. It's, it's I'm buried with Christ. I'm raised with Christ. It's, it's a great, great picture image. That's baptism. That's how we practice it here. I love uh, the way that Ray Pritchard spoke about it. He said, in short, your baptism, in your baptism, you are preaching a sermon without using any words at all. And your sermon in your baptism will be more effective with your friends than any sermon the pastor preaches on Sunday morning. More effective because it comes directly from you. I'm always reminded of that when someone says, Pastor Phil, I, I need somebody to talk to, uh, I need somebody to talk to my aunt or my uncle, they're about to die, and, 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 and I want you to do it, right? And my answer to that is, I'll go with you, okay? But you need to understand, when I walk into the room, they think I'm the professional. 
And my testimony is not as strong as your testimony of faith in Christ is to share with them. That's what baptism is. Here's the second idea, fellowship, fellowship. We are called to worship and instruct in both small and large groups, submit to one another and come alongside others in their needs. I love this. We're, it's right there in your notes for you um, in that brochure. We are called to worship and instruct in both small and large groups. This is our large group setting. But if this is your only setting, you can't really do fellowship real well. We want to encourage you to do also small group settings where you can share those needs, where you can engage in, in uh, understanding uh, how you can come alongside others in their needs. Now watch this. This is a great word. By the way, some of you who are here for the first time are saying, oh, that's why you call it Fellowship Bible Church. This is the idea. Are you with me? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Look at verse 44. And all who believe were together and had all things in common. There's your idea. Togetherness. Right? In fact, that word, that Greek word koinonia, is translated with a various number of other English words in your Bible. There it is, fellowship, the blue part of the donut reveals that most of the time that word's translated that way. But look at how else it's translated, participation, almost like you're supposed to participate with one another, which means that when we do have those 20-minute fellowship times here and we load the coffee up and everything, it's not just about you kind of walking around and getting another cup of coffee. It's about you engaging, participating with someone else in their need. Share, sharing, contribution, part, partnership. It's all about investing in somebody else. That's fellowship. How about this one? Family. We are called to honor God's design for the family. And that's a very simple statement in, our, in one of the seven things we practice. But it's an important statement. Let me do two things. Let me talk about, def- the, the, let me define it, and let me talk about how God designed it, Okay. Define and design. Here it is. Marriage is defined by God as one man with one woman for life. Period. Marriage is defined by God as one man with one woman for life. You say, well, Phil, that's not the culture in which we're living. I know it's not the culture in which we're living. But you and I are asked to remember what the Scripture says about the family and marriage. We don't redefine. We simply define. Are you with me? And I understand there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. And I would encourage you in all these issues in our culture that we should speak both with grace and with truth. There should not be a dogmatism and anger, a flaming frustration on Facebook. There should be grace, but there should also be truth. Marriage is defined by God as one man with one woman for life. Genesis chapter 2. But notice something else as as well. Marriage is designed by God to confirm our need for others, to develop selfless living, and to give glory to God. Now, just for a moment, notice what is totally missing from God's design. Marriage is designed to make you happy. It's missing, isn't it? Marriage is designed to bring you complete fulfillment where are you, Allie and Tom, all right? I just all of a sudden thought, wait, I got a couple that's getting married like in 10 days or something like that, okay? Just, so I'll just preach this part to you guys, all right? No, it's for all of us to remember okay, what marriage is designed by God to do, to confirm your need for others. You know why and how that gets confirmed? Kim has weaknesses where I have strengths. I have strengths where she has weaknesses. 
those strengths and weaknesses rub up against each other. You know what they're supposed to do? To confirm that we need another. Okay. But sometimes it doesn't feel like confirmation in our marriages, does it? it? It feels like confrontation in our marriage. Simply to confirm and realize we can't do this life. God created a partner for us to do this life with. It's to develop selfless living. It's not to develop selfish living. Maybe you've heard me tell the story. I think I haven't told it in a few years, but I was once uh, doing premarital counseling with a couple, and, and I had them write out for me why they wanted to get married, what they appreciated about the other person. And, and they, they came in, and they were holding hands. They were smiling like the average premarital couple, like, we can't wait to be totally fulfilled and happy for the rest of our lives. Okay? And they sat down, and they had these really long list of things, he makes me happy. He makes me, he, he laughs at my jokes. He thinks I'm funny. He thinks I'm beautiful. He, he thinks me, 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 me. And I'm looking at her list. And I'm looking at his list. And his list said, she makes me feel so important. She makes me feel this. She makes me, 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 me. And I remember, I, I look at them and they're just sitting there so happy. <laughs> holding hands. Right? And I just thought, this is such a great opportunity to make them unhappy. <laughs> So I took a pen, I took a pen, and they're looking, smiling, what do you think of our answers? What do you think of our answers? And I just circled, me, 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 me. Then I got over to his list, me, 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 me. And then I swapped them, and I slid them back across the table. And I said, uh, tell me what you know about the other person. And it's like, they came up together, and they said, they are so selfish. Right? Here's the thing. Marriage reveals the opportunity for selfless living. What an incredible opportunity to be like Christ, who humbled himself and was obedient to God even to death on a cross. And finally, this is so important, your marriage was designed that you would give glory to God. Now stop right here. Some of you I know are in a valley. I know because you've talked to me. Some of you are saying, listen, I don't even know if I can hold on here anymore. I want to tell you that God has, is walking you through that valley so that when you come out, you can look back and say, the only way we got through that is because of God and he gets the glory. Okay? That's what marriage was designed to do. Not to make you happy, not to make you totally fulfilled, but that you would confirm your need for others, develop selfless living, and give glory to God. That's why we talk about the family, because it's not only defined, but it's designed. Let me talk about spiritual disciplines. We are called to pray to God and study the Bible as God daily transforms our lives. It's great. Let me give you three key spiritual disciplines. You should know them by now. If you're using a Kairos journal or some kind of quiet time, you should be saying, okay, these are the things I'm working on. Prayer, immediate access to God, James 5.16 says, uh, listen, uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Let me just say, just to, I'm going to go off chart here and, and, and preach for a second, okay? Praying publicly with someone else and actually voicing your prayer, I get it, is hard for some of you. Um, a few weeks ago, I had an out-of-town out guest. He was our men's retreat speaker. He joined us on a Sunday. He was sitting down here. Um, he's been in ministry for years. And we broke that morning and spent time praying 
um, for Ukrainian opportunities. I can't even remember what we were praying for. He came up to me afterwards and he said, Phil, you do understand how unique that is for churches. Your people actually prayed together publicly. He said, that was cool, right? And I was reminded again how important prayer is for us to pray publicly. But one of the reasons we're a little awkward in praying publicly may be because we're not specifically, definitively praying privately. You say, well, yeah, I, I kind of pray. I'm kind of in a spirit of prayer. I, I keep calling out to God throughout the day. That's great. Let me encourage you with something. Speak it out loud. Because if you train your lips to talk to God out loud and just not in your head, when you sit with somebody else, it's not nearly as awkward to talk to God out loud. Okay? Prayer, immediate access to God. Scripture memory, instantaneous retrieval for victory. A great moment. Just a moment that makes a pastor say, man, I love what I do. I had an individual um, who, uh, who said to me, you know, regarding sexual temptation, I've been memorizing Scripture. And he said, uh, it's helped. Like, it's really, really helped. It's, it's helped me because I can, I'm finding that when I'm facing the temptation, I can kind of stand against the temptation. He said, uh, I got to tell you this great story. He said, just a couple... Um, he said, just last week, or on the way to church, he said, I said to my wife, who's on the side, hey, quiz me on my verses, right? And he said, I did five verses straight up, like bang, 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 bang. And I remember thinking, I wonder what your wife thought, right? That her husband is taking seriously temptation, seeking to be victorious. I just smiled and thought, man, you keep doing that. I'm not really worried about you struggling because you are learning to use the sword of the Spirit. Bible reading and study, daily transformation of our beliefs and actions. So I talked about a young man. Let me talk about an old man, an uh, older man. Um, just this past week, I was talking to this guy who's just started coming to fellowship. He's a senior, and uh, not a senior in high school, a genuine senior, okay? And... Um, and he, I said, tell me about your faith. Like, how did you come to the Lord? And he's telling me this story. And he says to me, um, he said, you know, the most important thing I've ever done in my Christian walk is to read the Bible daily. He said, I started it about 50 years ago or something like that. And he said, it has changed my life. So here's the thing. You and I, we're all aging, but if you start to do it daily, you get a chance to acquire what he acquired, growth when you need it from the Word, not just from Sunday to Sunday. Bible reading and study, it's the way we daily transform our beliefs and our actions. And 2 Timothy 3 says that, right? It, it communicates that um, all Scripture is given inspired by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. There's four elements in there that speak both about what we believe and what we do. Giving. We are called to serve others by sharing our time, talents, and resources. Just take your Bibles and go with me to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love this verse. It's a great source of encouragement. I'm, I'm, I, I told you to go to 9, but I want you to see verse 8 first. Chapter 8 first. Paul writing there says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in the wealth, have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. The idea of giving, that is, sharing our time, talents, and resources, the idea of giving here isn't dependent on how much you make, right? Because these people gave not only out of poverty, but extreme poverty, and still they were generous with what they had. We are called to serve by sharing our time, talents, and resources. Look at me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 real quickly. And just let me give you what I like to call a checkpoints on your giving. Rather than just give to the church or to someone else as you're giving, right? You say, well, how much should I give? Well, the Bible speaks about the fact that we should determine that element in our, in our heart. We should be eager. We should be zealous. Chapter 9, verse 2, we should be prepared. Verse 5, we should be committed. Verse 5, we should be willing. Verse 5, let me go back and give you those. For I know your readiness, that is, they're eager to do it, and your zeal, that is, they're zealous to do it. He said uh, that you should arrange in advance, that means they're prepared to do it. For the gift you promise, that means they're committed to do it, so that it may be a willing gift. That just means they're willing. They're, they're not holding onto it Scrooge-like. Right? Chapter 9, verse 6, and whoever sows bountifully that means they're purposeful in doing it, will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, reluctantly or under compassion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You say, well, Phil, where do I start? Okay, well, the Bible does use the word tithe. That tithe sounds like tenth because it is a tenth. It's a tenth of what you have to give. You say, wow, that's a big number. I'm not sure that I could do that. I would encourage you to think in terms of that, but not as the finishing point, but as the starting point. Because nothing here is about that, but if you want a starting point, move towards giving a tenth of what you earn. And then embrace these words, eager, zealous, prepared, committed, willing, purposeful. I love this. Look at verse 7. Um, For God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word there is the word hilarious. That when you Give in whatever way you're giving, that you're giving with great joy. I notice as well that it has to be dependent. He, verse 8, is able to make all grace abound to you. That you're giving in such a way that it requires you to be dependent on the Lord. And I notice in verse 11 that it's intentional. And finally, I notice in verse 12 that it's worshipful. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The point is this, that there should be checkpoints on how we give. We should think about that. And again, depending on your church background, you may have grown up in a church where they were always yelling at you about giving, or you may have grown up in a church where they never talked about giving. We should talk about it because the Bible talks about it. That's it, right? Number six, discipleship. We are called to strengthen others by investing in their relationships with Christ. We are called to strengthen others by investing in their relationships with Christ. One of the coolest things that is happening at Fellowship Bible Church is that a number of years ago, our women's ministry, which has been active and engaged and purposeful, took a break from all of their bigger Bible studies to say, we want to work on discipling people, and they set up discipleship groups. And those discipleship groups were really active 
and were powerful and kind of hit at the COVID time. And so it was actually perfect when we weren't gathering in big groups necessarily. They were still able to maintain these discipleship groups. And I heard from multiple women who said that was life-changing for me. Well, Scott, with uh, the men's ministry team, Pastor Scott, decided that maybe we should follow suit, take a page out of the women's playbook and do that as well. And so the guys working there created what we call D groups, men's discipleship groups. I've yet to talk to a man in that group who has said anything like, that's a waste of time. You know what they've said? That thing changed my life. To me, with four or five guys, to have them text me as I'm texting them, to just text what we learn throughout the day in the Bible, like, that just changed my life. Discipleship is pretty simple. It's just strengthening others by investing in their relationships with Christ. And guess what? It comes full circle. You're investing in them. They're investing in you. In fact, we find that idea in the Scriptures, again, just to grind it, ground it there. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. main verb in this text is the, is the verb make disciples, and, and, it, and it's captured in three different ways here with the word go, therefore, or as you are going, Baptizing, that is, help them identify with Christ. Well, how vital is that? If you're one of our youth leaders and you're working alongside Pastor Justin in, in, in a small group of teens, you know what you're, you should be helping them do? How are you identifying with Christ? When you go into school on a, on a Monday morning, how are you identifying with Christ? I want to pray with you that you could take a stand for Christ. Why? Because that's that word of baptizing, right? It's a publicly identifying and teaching them, that is instructing them, that is not just giving them um, questions and answers so that they can, can give you back the right theological answer, but, but teaching them with wisdom and how they should handle the difficult issues in life. That's making disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. One final one, and I love this. We are called to share the good news, outreach. We are called to share the good news of the gospel to non-believers both locally, globally, by words and service. Two things, two elements, and two places, locally and globally. What is the good news? The good news is this. Um, that phrase, the good news, we actually find in Luke chapter 2 in a Christmas passage, right? Because there, in that passage, um, that's where the angels say, listen, we bring you good tidings, great tidings of good news. There's your word. That unto you is born this day in the city of David. Finish it for me. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's the good news. Christ was born. Christ came. He died. He rose again. And as we put our faith in him, we're saved. Not by anything we do, but because of what he did. That's the good news. Note this. You're supposed to share that with non-believers. It's great to talk about it with believers, but we should be also sharing it with non-believers because they need to hear it. And I love this, locally and globally. I love it when we see um, pictures of Justin and Allie from Kids Club decades ago. They... They are seeking to do something locally. I love it equally when I 
uh, see a picture of Sean Cryan, who's over in Japan, one of the young men who grew up here. He's seeking to do it globally. Can I challenge you with something? You can do it here, now, locally and globally. On Facebook, because I started to engage with a few Ukrainian friends, all of a sudden my Facebook feed is filled with a language that I can't even read. It's just nonstop Ukrainian all day long. I get, I'm getting emails from Ukrainians. I don't even know what I'm reading. Right? You say, well, Google translated. I do. I still don't know what I'm reading. <laughs> the point is this, that you can now share the gospel globally in a way that just a decade ago people couldn't share. You should be taking advantage of that. If you have someone that you are connected to on Instagram or whatever, Facebook, or even if you're texting in another part of the world, share the gospel. Just share the gospel. Tell them the good news. Not only should it be done locally and globally, but it should be by words and service, right? 1 John 3.16, you want to hear it? Here it goes. Um, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. There's the gospel. And therefore, we should lay down our lives for one another. There's the service. You and I engage in other people's lives by doing both. One of my favorite verses on outreach is this one. Here is the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4 giving a prayer request. Okay? You got to love this. At the same time, pray also for us, he says, that God may open to us a door for the word. He's saying, I want you to pray that God would open a door for the gospel to declare the mystery of Christ. Now watch this. On account of which I am in, finish it for me. What? Prison. I would say to Paul, you want me to pray that you could have an open door for the word? How about if I pray you get an open door to the prison? Okay. Doesn't even think about it that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, listen, my life is all about sharing the mystery of Christ. And if that's in prison, behind bars, then it's in prison, behind bars. If that's the prison doors open and I get a chance to go out, then I get a chance to go out. Paul's number one prayer request when he is a prisoner is not his temporary comfort. I had a friend of mine who told me once that when he was visiting that New Testament part of the world, he said, um, not in the house prison arrest, but he said, I went through one of um, a location that was similar to Paul's prison when he was actually in prison. He said, Phil, you need to understand it. It didn't have a bathroom or a toilet. It had a ditch in the back where sewer ran through the back of it. There was no bed. You were dropped into the prison from the top, and it was a cave that you had to, the most you could stand up was like this. And there was nothing else in there. Stone floor, sewer running behind you, and the sunlight overhead. That's it. Just imagine that in that environment, Paul says, my number one goal is outreach. I just want to know that I could make the word clear. I want to make it clear how I ought to speak. Well, that is what we're called to do. By the way, I hope you heard that part of each one of the phrase, that when it comes to what we not only believe, but what we practice, 
We say it's a calling. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to do these things. They are what mark Fellowship Bible Church. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word. Man, it's so, it's just fun, Lord, to just unpack again the fundamentals of what you've asked us to do, to minister um, the word to a group of people who want to hear, who want to know so that they can do. I pray, Lord, where your Holy Spirit has brought conviction today to individuals, including my own heart. Maybe it's about giving, uh, past or present. Maybe it's about, um, maybe it's about giving evidence of the fact that we are followers of Jesus and the groups and the people that we hang out with. Lord, whatever it might be, may we not be afraid of it. May we embrace it. Maybe it's about just practicing the spiritual disciplines with greater consistency and a, and a greater fervor. May we not be quick to say, oh, this is what my church believes. But may we learn to say, this is what I believe and this is what I do because I'm a follower of the one who gave his life for me. We're humbled and grateful to be your children. Thank you for loving us. Thanks for reaching down and saving us. Thank you for giving us the privilege of serving and following you. Help us to do it well for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill. Hill.